Welcome back, everyone, to hopefully your favorite paranormal podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is an evidence-based podcast that looks into various paranormal occurrences that happen here across the United States. As always, I'm your host, Michelle, and while I am a skeptic by nature, I really do want to be a believer. I am both intrigued by the paranormal and really open to the possibilities of what might be out there. So join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and present to you what is real, what is not real, and what may just be in between. I'm going to present to you both the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports, and we will see where the two meet. So join me in exposing the paranormal. We are going to the southwest corner of the United States for this week's episode to the city of Flagstaff, Arizona. This is the story of the Hotel Monte Vista. And the reason I actually chose this hotel as the story I wanted to do for Arizona is because I actually have been here. I went here about four years ago with a couple other people and we really just came to check out the haunted occurrences that are said to have happened in the hotel. I was just there and we were looking at something that was to do that night and came across supposedly the most haunted hotel in Arizona. Once I get to the haunted section of the story, I'll kind of go into a little bit more detail on what we experienced and what we heard while at the hotel. But first, as always, I'm going to get into the history before I get into the haunted tale. This story starts back in the early 1900s when tourism was really starting to come to a head in the city of Flagstaff. The problem they were having is they were being kind of held back because they really didn't have a lot of great places for tourists to stay once they got to the city. The places that were there were old, they hadn't been kept up, they just weren't very inviting. So the town was like, hey, we need to get a hotel together. So they chose a location that was going to be close to the railroad as well as close to the upcoming Route 66, which we all know as being very famous today. To get the hotel underway, the community held a fundraiser so that they could actually get the funds to build the hotel. Fundraising began in April of 1926, and in just one month, the city was able to raise $200,000. Might not sound like a lot, but back in 1926, that would be worth over $3 million today. Pretty impressive for just a month, though. They were heavily bolstered by the fact that they had a famous author that lived there. There was plenty of wealthy citizens. So it wasn't that big of a step to get the $200,000. I do want to state there was one newspaper article I came across that stated the amount was $300,000, though most articles and accounts I saw were 200,000. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't affect our story. Just wanted to get the facts out there. On June 8th of 1926, just a few months after they had raised the funds, they were able to break ground for the hotel. And just about seven months later, on New Year's Day of 1927, the hotel was able to open. That is pretty impressive because, you know, nowadays, Imagine how long it takes to build a hotel, to furnish it, to open it. There's so many things that they have to do to get permits and things like that. So it's pretty impressive that they were able to get this hotel up and running from start to finish in less than a year. 
Now, when the hotel opened, it was not called the Hotel Monte Vista. It was actually called the Community Hotel. Why this name was chosen is it was a way of the hotel to honor the people who had made the hotel happen. They had held the fundraiser. They had contributed funds. They had spread the word. And the hotel wouldn't have been there without them, so they wanted to name it in their honor. As the years wore on, though, the hotel really became very popular. It was not only popular with tourists, but also the locals. They decided they wanted to rename the hotel, and what better way to pick a new name than to run a naming contest? They ran newspaper ads, they ran radio advertisements asking people to submit their best name for the hotel. The contest was actually won by a 12-year-old girl who chose the name Monte Vista. For those of you who are not Spanish-speaking, that translates to Mountain View, which was very fitting for the hotel as it overlooks from the hotel the mountain ranges there in Arizona, which is really, really pretty if you haven't seen it before. The Monte Vista, as I stated, had been a very popular place, not only for tourists, but locals. And the reason this is, is it was a very good meeting spot. People could go there and have a drink. They could go dancing, listen to live music. And it even became a popular catchphrase that people would just say, hey, meet me at the Monte V. And everyone knew you're meeting at the Monte Vista. Originally, when the hotel was built, it had 26 rooms, a two-story bar, a lounge, there was a post office that had originally already been there that the hotel built onto, and it was also headquarters for a newspaper, which was, spoiler, a little bit of a cover-up, but I'll get into that shortly. Um, as far as the post office, it actually only ran till 1927, so not too long after the hotel had closed, the post office service ended from the hotel. Another thing the hotel was famous for, which also brought lots of publicity to the hotel, was in 1927, the same year that the hotel opened, there was a woman named Mary Costigan who rented out room 105 to host her daily three-hour radio show. This brought people to the hotel not only to meet her, but to listen to her show while they were there. It became a very big draw, and one of the reasons this is is because Mary Costigan was actually the first American woman to be granted a radio broadcasting license. Remember, this is not a time when women's rights were as prominent as they are today. So a majority of the hotel income was, of course, from people staying the night, but also in addition to that was the serving of alcohol. Remember, they had a two-story bar. It was very prominent, and it brought a lot of locals and tourists to stay and have a drink. The issue is the Prohibition era came. Now, for those of you not familiar with the Prohibition era, this was a time in American history where the sale, distribution, making, everything pretty much associated with alcohol was illegal. So how did the hotel get around this? What did they do? Well, they pretty much ignored it. They became a popular speakeasy. What they did is they opened the cocktail lounge under the guise of the newspaper publishing house, which is why I said it was the newspaper for a while. In addition to running the lounge, they were also running a bootlegging operation, which was assisted by the underground tunnels that run under the hotel. 
Unfortunately for the hotel, they were very popular. They were not very good about keeping things quiet. So in 1931, the police actually shut the cocktail lounge down. Luckily for the hotel, prohibition ended two years later and they were able to resume serving alcohol in 1933. But again, the hotel had taken quite a bit of a hit in making revenue on the sale of alcohol. So in 1935 to 1940, they actually offered slot machines in the lobby so that they could raise some extra funds and draw more people for business. And a fun fact is these slot machines are actually the only ones ever to have been in Flagstaff in all of its history, including current day. Now, I did mention the underground tunnels that are under the hotel. They actually connect a lot of downtown Flagstaff. That includes the local library, this hotel, includes the college, and businesses like that. There are many theories on why the tunnels were built and what they were used for, and I'm just going to go over a couple of them. I don't know that one is right or wrong. I think a couple of them could be right, but unfortunately we don't know for sure, as the archives in Flagstaff actually had a fire so a lot of the records were destroyed and there is no record showing when these tunnels were built or what they were originally intended for. The first theory I'm going to state is in the Flagstaff area, there was a large Asian population. And this was a time when racism was very high, especially in the United States. And it was said that this Asian population of people actually dug the tunnels and use them to travel throughout the city so they wouldn't have to be subject to bigotry and assault. Another theory is that these were used to, especially during Prohibition, smuggle moonshine and other alcohol to and from various buildings. It would be a place where people could host illegal card games, they could have drug dens, they would be used for brothel purposes, all sorts of stuff. In Prohibition and in modern times, they actually used this space for extra storage for their business. They could store the extra alcohol down there, food, any supplies they might need. And it is said that the tunnels actually ended up becoming kind of an underground black market during Prohibition. People could actually go down into the tunnels, get some liquor from the hotel or various other places that might be making it, and they could take it back to their home. Now, the most prominent theory, and probably one of the most probable, is not far from the hotel in downtown, is there was a building that generated steam heat. And it is said that these tunnels were a way for the steam heat to go to various buildings and actually heat them, including the college and the hotel, back in the days before, you know, central heating was really a thing. But again, we don't really know exactly what the tunnels were used for. These are just some of the most prominent and popular theories. I'd probably choose the heat as well as, you know, kind of the underground black market kind of thing, because it would definitely make sense, especially during Prohibition. In addition to the tunnels, the hotel was known for its poker games. There was always wild bar fights. There was outlaws in the area. This was still kind of Wild West times. but. As the years wore on, it became more settled down, and it ended up being quite a hotspot for famous people to stay here. 
This is actually because there has been more than 100 movies that were actually filmed in nearby Sedona and the Oak Creek Canyon. So since it's not far, and this was a really nice place to stay, the famous actors and so forth would stay at this hotel while they were resting between, during, and after filming. Some of the famous people that have stayed here include Anthony Hopkins, Clint Eastwood, Michael J. Fox, Humphrey Bogart, Harry Truman, Freddie Mercury, and even John Wayne. A lot of the names I've mentioned, you will notice they featured in a lot of Westerns. And actually in the 50s and 60s, Westerns were very popular. So quite a number of them were shot, which is why you hear people like Clint Eastwood and John Wayne staying at this hotel. This was also the filming location for the 1942 film Casablanca, which, if you notice the name, I said Humphrey Bogart, which is why he would have stayed here. All the scenes from Casablanca that were shown in a hotel or at a club were actually filmed at the Hotel Monte Vista. They also do claim that Forrest Gump was filmed here as well. And technically, there is a scene in Forrest Gump where the Monte Vista Hotel is filmed, though I'm not sure that you would actually classify it as filming at the hotel. And why I say that, for any of you familiar with Forrest Gump, um, first off, if you are not, you definitely should watch it. It is a classic, and it is an excellent film. But in the film, there is quite a number of scenes where Forrest Gump just starts running. And he doesn't know why he's running, he just keeps running. And in one scene, he does run past the Monte Vista Hotel, and that is why they can claim it as a filming location. I'm going to now fast forward more towards present day. The hotel now contains 73 rooms versus its original 26 rooms that it had. The rooms for the hotel are on the second through fourth floor. And it still remains a popular hotel and bar venue to this day. In 1973, the hotel was added to the U.S. Registrar of Historic Places. And as of 2018, they were able to fully restore it, though they kept a lot of its original charm when they did so. Now, this includes the historic traveler rooms. They did keep these original 26 rooms. They tried to keep a more period-esque. The only issue with this is you're staying at a hotel and these travel rooms, they share a bathroom, which isn't a big deal if you're looking for more of that hostile kind of environment. But if not, the other rooms, they do have private bathrooms. In addition to the rooms, there is still a bi-level bar that features live music, karaoke, there will be dancing, trivia nights, things like that. There is a separate room as well for pool tables, dartboards, and other games. The tunnels that are under the hotel are still used, but they are used only for storage purposes and of course to run piping such as plumbing, heating ducts, things like that. A fun fact about the hotel rooms is each of the rooms in the hotel is named for a famous person who actually stayed in that room. So you might go to one room and see it's the Freddie Mercury room or go to another room and it might be the John Wayne room. I do want to let you know right before I get into these haunted reports that if you do want to look into the Hotel Monte Vista a little bit more after you hear this episode, I want to give you just kind of a little disclaimer. The Hotel Monte Vista is located in Arizona, but there is a Monte Vista Hotel located in North Carolina. 
So if you do want to research this episode's hotel, make sure you write hotel first, Hotel Monte Vista. And now without further ado, I am going to get into the haunted reports associated with this hotel. I'm going to start with room 220 in the Phantom Bellboy. And the reason I'm going to start with this one is this is actually the first reports of hauntings that happen in the hotel. And these start with the man named John Wayne. If you are not familiar with John Wayne, he was very famous. He was featured in many, many westerns, a big actor for quite a long time. And again, he was the first person to ever report any paranormal activity in the hotel. His story starts in the 1950s, and what happened is he was in his room when he heard a knock at his door, and he heard a gentleman ask if he wanted room service. So he went to the door, opened it up, but when he did, there was no one there. He looked all the way down the hallways, kind of shrugged, and was like, well, maybe I'm hearing things. When he closed the door, he saw the apparition in his room, and he reports the apparition was friendly, though then disappeared. There are also other multiple reports of people hearing the call for room service after hearing a knock on their door and no one being there. So a couple things about the report of the Phantom Bellboy. Again, while I was here, I did not stay in the hotel. I just kind of went through it, stayed at the bar, had a drink, toured all the hallways, went up and down the elevator, all that kind of stuff. So I did not stay in room 220. I did not see any Phantom Bellboy in the halls. Now, per filmography, in the 50s, when John Wayne was said to be at the hotel, there was no filming locations that were in Arizona at that time, except for a filming of the Rio Bravo movie in 1950. Though this movie was actually filmed in Tucson, Arizona which is over a four-hour drive from Flagstaff, and Tucson is a pretty big city. He would have probably stayed there during the filming versus making the drive to Flagstaff, so I doubt that would have happened. The only time for filming that he was actually in the area of northern Arizona was when he was filming westerns in Monument Valley, but that was in the late 1930s. That's two decades between when he is said to have been there and when he actually was. Now, you might say, well, maybe it wasn't during a filming, maybe he just wanted to vacation there or whatnot, but remember, he was a very, very famous actor. He had to go out west quite a bit. He had to do a lot of filming locations in places like Arizona, Utah, desert areas. I doubt that he would have wanted to spend his free time at the Monte Vista Hotel and kind of see the same thing he gets to see during his filming. Also, John Wayne's story is collaborated by the hotel only and the retelling of the legend. I could not find any articles, any biographies, nothing where John Wayne actually states that this happened. It seems like one of those things that becomes word of mouth, and it started with the call for room service, and then as the reports keep going on closer to present day, that's when you start seeing the reports that he actually saw the ghost. There are also no reports of an accident or death of a bellboy in the hotel. Records are pretty good as far as this. I was able to find so many news articles about things that happened at the Hotel Monte Vista. Tons of reports of, you know, different events that were going on. You know, if there was a fire behind the hotel. 
So there definitely would have been a report if someone had died, and I did not find anything about a bellboy. Another thing I want to say is there was someone who did an investigation of the hotel, and what they did is they stayed in this room 220, and they had their friend go around the corner and knock on the door that was around the corner and call for room service. When they did this, the person that was in room 220 said that it sounded like someone was knocking at their door and that the room service person was there. The walls here in this hotel, I mean, they're pretty thin. There's not a lot of insulation. This was built back in the 1920s. So it's definitely possible, it's not that quiet, that maybe someone is calling for room service, but they're actually calling from another room. I'm now going to move on to the next room, and this is room 305. This is the John Bon Jovi room, but it is more famously known as the rocking chair room. The story behind the rocking chair room is the room was used for long-term boarding by an elderly woman. I'm not sure how long she lived here, but during her stay here, she liked to sit by the window in a rocking chair looking out the window. No one seems to know what she was looking for. Maybe she just liked to watch traffic go by. Maybe she was looking for a long-lost love. Who knows? But as she aged on over the years in the hotel, it is said that she actually died there, and when she passed away, she was sitting there rocking in her chair. After she passed, the chair now allegedly begins moving by itself, rocking back and forth, and some staff members have even reported seeing the figure of the ghostly woman rocking in the chair. During cleaning and things like that, the staff will actually move the chair, but it always moves itself back out by the window, and maybe this is the ghost of the woman who, you know, she just wants to be able to look out the window and enjoy her afterlife, so stop moving her chair. In addition to the chair rocking and the apparition of the woman, people also report hearing scratching or knocking from the inside of the closet door, but when they open it, there's of course nothing or no one there. Getting into again the newspaper archives with the hotel being very vast, there are no reports of a death at all in the hotel in the newspaper archives which again, newspaper archives on the hotel and obituaries and things like that were very common. Unlike today, not everyone has an obituary. Back then, most people did. And I don't have any reports of who this one would have been. So while I can't 100% debunk it, because of course there is no name, I did not see anything about her death in the hotel. I'm going to now move on to room 306, and this is the Gary Cooper room. This story starts in the 1940s, and about two blocks down from the hotel, during the 1940s, this was the red light district. What happened with this story is there was two women who were prostitutes, and they were working down in the red light district when a John approached them. They followed him back to the hotel where he had rented a room, and who knows what they were doing, but apparently he was not happy with their services, or he didn't want to pay them. There was an altercation, and the man ended up killing both of the women. After he had killed them, he disposed of their bodies by throwing them out the window into the street. Not the best way 
to maybe dispose of a body if you're trying to be discreet, but apparently he wasn't worried about that. I don't know, maybe he was really drunk. Who knows? After the two women were killed, they're now known as the Painted Ladies. They are sighted throughout the hotel, but mostly like to hang out in the pool hall and the lounge. While guests are in the area, they report the feeling of being watched, and they just don't feel like they are alone. And for any man staying in room 306, it's not a pleasant experience. Men will have strange dreams and actually wake up feeling like there's hands around their necks strangling them. Though when they fully come awake, they can still feel the hands, but there's no one there. So again with this story, there is nothing in the newspapers about the killing of these two women. And again, they were thrown out the window into the street. This would have been a big story of finding two dead bodies outside this prominent hotel in a busy area filled with tourists, not far from the red light district, things like that. So this would definitely have been in the papers, and it is not. Also, one thing about the two painted ladies story, this happened in the 1940s. And remember, the first paranormal occurrences weren't reported until the 1950s, which is over a decade later. How come these painted ladies were not seen, felt, or reported till after John Wayne saw his first ghost about a decade later? I'm now going to move on to the bar ghost. This ghost is mostly reported by the managers on site. They state when they go in to open the bar, they will hear this ghost tell them good morning or hello as they open the bar and get it ready for the day. Other reports state they will feel a presence near them while they're having a drink at the bar. Bar stools will also turn or shift out of place, and glasses will move across the bar, will move from one place to the other, things like that. Now, the story of who this spirit is, is a story that dates back to the 1970s. At this time, there was a trio of men who had robbed a nearby bank, but during the robbery, one of the men was actually shot. They didn't think it was a big deal. It wasn't anywhere that was going to kill him anytime soon. So before getting treatment, they decided to stop at the Monte Vista and have some drinks to celebrate them getting away with their grand robbery. So unfortunately, as they were celebrating, they didn't realize how badly their friend was actually shot. They got their first round of drinks, but before he had even finished his first drink, the man who had been shot actually passed away in the bar. There were several bank robberies that occurred in the 70s, and there were several bank robberies that occurred before this. However, all of the suspects in these robberies were apprehended by police, they stood trial, and none of them were shot by anyone. No one, again, died in the hotel or in the bar of the hotel. So this story probably is a pretty good urban legend. Now moving on to room 220. This is probably, in my opinion, the most strange story. I'm not sure where this would have come from, but it's pretty interesting. And this is the room where the meat man lived. So the meat man, he was said to be a long-term boarder in the 1980s. And he was called the meat man as he liked to hang raw meat from the chandelier in the room. 
I'm not sure if maybe he was salting it and drying it out, what he was doing with this raw meat hanging from the chandelier, but apparently nobody seemed to mind. They let him live there. Now, there are no reports of how he passed away, but apparently he was discovered dead in his room by one of the staff members, but apparently he was dead for several days before anyone found him. After they discovered his body, they of course removed it and then went about getting the room ready and updated to get a new guest in. After the maintenance man had finished kind of fixing any patching of the walls that needed things like that, he left the room because he needed to get a hammer. When he came back into the room, he found the room completely in disarray. The sheets were scattered all over the floor, the TV was turning off and on its own, the volume was adjusting on itself, things like that. And to this day, guests will report hearing noises in the room, including coughing, someone laughing, and the creepiest part is people will feel cold hands on them while they're sleeping. Again, with this story, I A, don't have any deaths again in the hotel, and remember how I said the walls of the room are pretty thin, there's not a lot of insulation, you can kind of hear what's going on next door. Why would no one notice the stink of his dead body for days? I mean, yes, you could probably argue, hey, the man hung raw meat from his chandelier, but if he was letting it rot, people would complain and they'd have to remove him. So I'm assuming he was smoking it, doing something like that, and it wouldn't have really smelled bad. There's a difference between hanging meat to cure and a dead body for date. So again, I don't really know that this one is much more than an urban legend. And now I'm going to move on to room 210, and this is the Zane Gray room. In this room, there are the sightings of a young male in a red coat with brass buttons, which if any of you have ever seen any movies, especially any scary ones, this is your telltale what everybody pictures when they think of a bellboy. Also outside of room 210, wandering the halls, is a woman. She is just referred to as the wandering woman as she likes to kind of just go up and down the hall outside of room 210. It is said that the hotel avoids putting guests in room 210 as the dogs kind of go crazy. They'll tear up the room, they can't stop barking, and the owners all report that this is not like their pets at all. I did look into the hotel and they are not pet friendly at this time, though per research they were at one time, so it could be possible that the dogs are going a little crazy. I'm not sure who this wandering woman would be or the man with the brass buttons because remember, no one in the hotel has died. And I know you might say like, hey, you don't have to have died in the hotel to be there. You know, it's just something your spirit is associated with. But I don't know if I would want to haunt my afterlife in a place I work or maybe a place I just stayed one night. That's just my thoughts. I'm going to now move on to the basement. Um, there's not a whole lot of activity that happens in the basement, oddly enough. Usually these are pretty prominent with hauntings, but I have two things that are said to happen in the basement. One is there is a six-foot-tall shadow man. And I'm not sure how he does this, but it is apparent that he likes to intimidate people, especially those making deliveries to the basement. He kind of likes to stand over them, I suppose, and kind of be like, all right, get out, this is my basement. 
We do not know who he is, though, but again, remember, the basement is where the tunnels lead off to. There could have been maybe an underground bar fight. There could have been, you know, a gambling den where something went wrong. Who knows? It's definitely possible that someone could have passed in the tunnel. Also in the basement, you will hear a baby crying. The popular belief with this is, remember, this was also used as brothel purposes back in the day per legend um, in the tunnels. And some people say that there was a prostitute who got pregnant by a local John. The John, unfortunately for her, did not want the baby. He already had a life and did not want her in it. So he actually forced her to kill her child after she gave birth in the tunnels under the hotel. And now that crying baby is said to be the baby crying in the basement for all eternity. There's also inside of the hotel the elevator attendant spirit. When you enter the elevator and you turn your back to hit the button, you will actually hear a voice stating which floor. You will then sometimes see a hand closing the gate, and there is actually a mirror in front of the elevator. And if you look at it, in the reflection of the mirror, you will see a man standing behind you, but when you look, there's no one there. I did try this when I visited the hotel. I went up and down the elevator probably about three times looking in the mirror, asking someone if they could take me up or giving them a specific floor, things like that. But I did not see anyone. I did not hear anything. Kind of a little bit of a letdown, but kind of a little bit of a relief at the same time, if you know what I mean. There's also the spirit of a little boy who likes to play in the hallways. He likes to also walk behind staff members and will sometimes be heard talking to someone. And many people think that it might be his mother. Maybe his mother is the wandering woman. He does appear to multiple people, but he really likes to appear to other children. And he'll also sometimes touch you on the hand. Maybe he's reaching for your hand. He thinks you're his parent. Who knows? There's also the dancing couple who are a transparent formally dressed couple that like to hang out on the dance floor. They do not talk or engage with anyone, though, in the hotel. Now, as far as some general hauntings, the lobby phone will actually ring, but when you answer it, there is no one there. Furniture will also move throughout rooms, and things will fall over randomly. And there's also band music that plays in the second floor lobby when there is no band. Now again, I explored all of these areas. I hung out in the lobby, I hung out in the bar, I hung out pretty much everywhere in the hotel except inside the rooms, and I didn't see or experience anything. And when I went to the front desk, and I kind of talked to the girl who was running the desk at that time, she kind of seemed annoyed that I was asking anything about the haunted occurrences. Apparently this is pretty popular. And she really didn't want to go into detail. She was like, hey, if you have any thoughts on it, you can always just go on the website. It tells you all the ghosts and all that stuff that we know. She didn't report experiencing anything herself. And, you know, she just kind of seemed annoyed again. Another thing I will say is when I was at the bar, it was packed. And this was not a weekend. This was a weeknight. It was packed with tourists, a couple locals, but really everybody around me I heard was talking about the ghost stories and things like that. So it's definitely a great marketing strategy for the hotel. 
I will state that there are two deaths that are associated with the hotel that I was able to find. And I'll give you a little bit of information on them, but I really don't see these two as being the ghosts that are haunting the hotel. And you'll kind of figure out why as I go through the story. The first one happens in January of 1947, and this is a man named Clifford Jordan. He had went to the local hospital to have an appendectomy. He was pretty healthy. He was only 35 years old. so He really wasn't worried about it, but there was a complication during the surgery. He ended up actually passing away at the hospital. He is associated with the hotel as he had recently just started working there at the time of his death. Then in April of 1966, there was a barber that worked at the hotel. He had went to a local bar in the area when there was an altercation between him and another gentleman. A fist fight ensued, and the man ended up actually getting knocked down. He hit his head and later died at the local hospital from his injuries. So both of these men did work at the hotel. Both of them died, but they weren't at the hotel at the time of their death. The one man had not been working there very long, and the hotel barber, well, I don't hear any reports of a barber being sighted. It's always like a bellboy, something like that. I don't hear of any ghosts asking you to cut your hair. So I'm not sure that this would be the cause of this either. I've also read some interviews and reports. If you go back to the 90s, there are reports that there's maybe, you know, one to two ghosts in the hotel. And then you fast forward to, you know, nowadays, and there are 14, 15, 16 ghosts, just kind of depending who you talk to. And remember, this is a time when paranormal is very popular. People want to stay in haunted Airbnbs. It's, you know, we want to hear all the tales. We want to experience it while at the same time we don't kind of thing. But I think it's a great strategy for this hotel. It brings in a ton of business, not only to the hotel, but the bar. It gets a lot of people talking, like the locals. It's a really smart business idea. I'm not sure that any of these things actually are happening in the hotel or there's any haunted occurrences going on. I mean, again, I can't always 100% debunk it because again, we are, you know, talking about the paranormal. It's not something I can say, hey, it 100% doesn't exist, but I don't see any stories that would be associated with this hotel or any proof that I could see that show haunted reports. I've watched tons and tons of investigations on this hotel. And I really didn't see anything that really made me go, oh, okay, maybe. But that's my opinion. Yours might be different. I would love to hear your feedback on what you think. Maybe you think it is haunted. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've had a personal experience. You have some proof or just other facts you'd like to share. Maybe you went to the Hotel Monte Vista and kind of saw something for yourself. I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode and any suggestions you may have for a future episode, maybe one in your state. So make sure you tune in every Wednesday, wherever you tune in, and don't forget to leave a review. I would, of course, recommend a five-star, but again, I'm biased. So also make sure you follow this podcast so that you know as soon as a new episode is ready and you can show a little love on whatever site you use, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. You can also follow the podcast on social media for more information on each episode, which includes pictures, links, and much, much more. 
You can follow on Instagram at The Paranormal Truth, Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, or you can always shoot me an email at paranormalexposedpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next Wednesday.